Okay, hello everyone. So um, I'm feeling a lot better today. Actually, I keep I, I've I've had symptoms of um, coronavirus, and I was you know I was doing a cough in my throat felt like it was seizing up, and um, you know I had a temperature, so I've laid low, and that was for like for about two days. But today and yesterday, I've not been too bad. I haven't been like croaky or anything, um, so I don't know if it was just um, from the stress or, you know, of what's gone on or maybe I do, but I'm still isolating, um, you know, to, um, well, just, yeah, cause that's, that's what you got to do, I suppose, isn't it? Um, but anyway, I just, um, thought I'd leave you all a message just to explain that obviously it's been, you know, quite a big deal for me today on my Facebook page to, um, to tell you all that, um, I accuse the BBC, that's BBC North, um, and, uh, Greater Manchester Police and, uh, the NHS, um, and that's that's forces both in Manchester and London, actually, um, and that includes BBC teams in Manchester and London um, for my attempted murder. And that's quite a big statement to make because I've also backed it up by saying that I also include assault, uh, brutality, homophobia, uh, the deliberate spreading of uh, coronavirus, torture, entrapment, deceit, deception, trespass, uh, harassment. Um, and a variety of others, including many needle attacks. Um, my life hasn't been my own, and I've known that now. I've been trying to work it out, and this really was some of the things that gave me the answers. Um, the first thing that I needed to know was that my Facebook friends and my family had no idea that this was going on. And so I've had to be quite outrageous and I've had to make some big fuss on my Facebook page. Obviously, I'm sorry, Mother, for um, some of the things that I've said. Um, but I do think you should have listened to me when I was telling you what was going on. However, I do understand that you weren't part of it or that you weren't you weren't privy to knowledge about it. But when you're in a situation like, you know, I mean, you can't trust anybody and you've got no faith in anyone left. And you know that I've been losing my faith in every single person in the UK because you don't know where to turn and you don't know who to trust. You know, there's only really, well, Johnny, that I could, you know, um, that I could put some faith into. Um, so anyway, I had to know that you all didn't know anything about this because if you did, that would make you accessories to murder. And obviously I want to pick very carefully about who I would accuse of something like that because I wouldn't want, you know, a friend who maybe has a little son, you know, like, you know, like Beth, for example, to go to jail. Um, you know, because I wouldn't want her to, but I'd be upset and obviously I'd be really fucking disappointed if she did know what's been going on. Um, but I, you know, I accept that people don't know and I accept that my mother didn't know, you know, and my family and I accept, but you know, I had to know. And so the only way I can do that is by kicking up a stink like I did do, um, you know, accusing my mother of, um, attempted murder, which she could have been if she knows about it. And, you know, and, um, and really trying to get some eyes on my page to say, right, now is the time to be telling me if any of you know anything about this, because if you do, that makes you accessories. And therefore, you need to tell me now, otherwise, you know, it could get you into a lot of trouble. That's what I was trying to explain to everyone. But I'm satisfied that they didn't have a clue what I was talking about. And so, um, so that said to me, right, so this isn't being broadcast out somewhere. It means that it's being watched um, internally by people, um, you know, who are pulling the strings. And, um, you know, I did wonder if it was a bit like a snuff movie, and that's actually what it's turned out to be. But I was thinking, well, who's pulling the strings, though? And that's what's really, you know, been confusing me. But to be honest with you, I've, 
I've suspected the BBC for so many times. You know, even to when everyone thought I was having a breakdown last Christmas, I put about BBC North in that, you know, that they've been watching me. So, you know, I have accused the BBC of this a few times, but now I know that it is the BBC, you know, that um, I'm very confident to um, to report this crime now and to also uh, report Greater Manchester Police for attempted murder and uh, the NHS, a Royal uh, Manchester Infirmary, um, because I know it's true and the reason why I can do this and I know that it's true is because I survived and I survived the day when you all tried to kill me numerous times and I had to be very clever about how I was going to get out of that situation that you had me in and the places where you had me held and I realized that if the man didn't open the door for me and let me into the real part of the hospital I'd be dead right now and I would be, because I wouldn't be registered as being anywhere. I was taken um, under a cloak because she cordoned off a part of Manchester, which was just for me. Only the BBC would have the capability to do something like that by saying, look, we're just doing some filming, bit of a crime thriller, need to cut that road off, need to cut that bit off. You know, and that's when you've been dressing sets. So I was I was took into a set the other night and I knew it was a set because I was looking around and I thought this isn't a proper bedroom in the way that it's set up. The TV's there, yet the bed's there. You wouldn't be able to see the TV if you were in bed. And there was so many things that I could work out that just made me said, this is a set and this is a setup. And you know that I know it's a game because I've told you all repeatedly that I know it's a game and I'm playing along with you. And I've already said that so many times and I've put it in writing to you that I know it's a game. So you know that I know it's a game. So if you now go and kill me or attempt to kill me, then that's murder because <laughs> I know what's going on. And so, you know, when the police officers later on were, I was injected with something, I don't know what it was, but I knew it was killing me. And so when they had me held in a room in a hospital, which was cordoned off just for me, I know it sounds unbelievable, but it's true. It was cordoned off for me. I was in this room. It was filthy, absolutely filthy, you know, coronavirus all over it. I had no protection. Like none of them thought anything of me when they threw me in the back of a police van covered in blood. It was disgusting what they did to me. And there were so many of them, there's about eight of them swarmed me. For no reason. I hadn't done anything. I only reported a crime that had almost been killed in number 10 Crown Street, which actually doesn't exist because it was a set. What number is it? It's actually number four, Aspen Lane. And how do I know that? Because on my Uber receipt, when I went over, it says four Aspen Lane and actually Crown Street doesn't exist. And so therefore it was a set and it was a setup. And there's many things that I can go through about with hidden microphones and how people have been controlled. I sometimes look at people and I think, are you for real? Honestly, do you not think that I know that you've got an ear piercing and that somebody's talking to you? Like it, the majority of some of the gay men that I meet, you know, yes, I do meet, you know, for sex. Yes, I do, because I'm lonely, very fucking lonely. And there's no bloody wonder. But yes, I do. And the reason, the other reason is, is that they give me a bit of story every time because they're so transparent. And, you, you know, like some of them are just, it's just crazy how the, like they're acting so bad. And you know that someone's dictating and telling them what to say. And I'm like, you must think I'm stupid. You honestly, I don't tell them most of the time. I just watch them and see what they do and how it unfolds. But like I've said to them, I know it's a game. I know it's a game. I've told them repeatedly. So what do you do? But I realised that actually it was a deadly game and, you know, and it was getting worse and worse. I was getting more and more assaulted by the police. 
the brutality was massive. I mean, you should see the state of my clothes that they sent me home in a few nights ago. Bearing in mind, I'd done nothing wrong. I only reported a crime, which was uh, my attempted murder in the house. And they didn't even they didn't even knock on the door when I took them round. weren't interested because obviously they wanted to take me away. And when I asked them to look at the side of the building from across the road, they jumped on me and they said that they're arresting me and sectioning me. So that's that's how it happens. And, you know, they just take me under a cloak. And because I wasn't registered or seen anywhere, they could easily dispose of me. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill me because I, I know too much now. I know too much about their existence. I'm very vocal about it. I've been vocal about it across my Facebook pages that I know that I'm in the game. You know, if you look at Psychosis Live, you know, that was something I uploaded last year in July uh, 2018, where I said, I know I'm in a game. I know that this is a setup. So basically, I explained to the police officers who were sat over me watching me die with uh, whatever I've been injected with, if I die now in front of you, you guys are all accessories to murder because you know that I know that this is a game. So therefore, <laughs> you're fucked. And one of them got it and he was like, oh, I think he's right. And he knew that I needed to get proper sugar, you know, and tea. And he actually brought me my tea and he saved me my life. And, you know, I owe a lot to that guy because I was dying. My hands were going black almost. You know, my vision was going, um, you know, I needed some insulin. And, um, you know, and I was very grateful to that man. And, you know, and I certainly won't be pressing charges against him because he did do the right thing, as did the black guy stood beside him when I looked at the black guy and I said, what do I do, guys? Do I drink the cup of tea? And the black guy just said nothing but quietly nodded. So I thought, right, I know for a fact that he doesn't want to be heard saying the answer, but he gave me this very definitive nod, which I do sometimes get from people um, when I say, this is a setup, this is a setup. And they look me in the eye and they just give me this little nod as if to say, yes, it fucking is. And you know, it is. And I've known it is. I've known it is, you know, every time I've tried to um, tell people what's going on, you know, oh, I'm walking into a set. That's what I'm telling people, walking into a set, these weird things are happening and it must sound bizarre. But the point is, it was happening. So I was only reporting what was actually happening to me. And they were just sectioning me for it. But they knew it was happening because they were doing it. And, um, so, you know, you think to yourself, well, why? What, you know, why would the BBC do something like this? And it really goes back to, um, <clears throat> well, it goes back to like um, an old BBC. Uh, you never, you've got to pick your battles in the BBC. Um, you've got to be very, very careful of the management and, you know, who you speak to, how you manage these relationships. And, you know, you've got to be very gently, very, you know, massaging egos and all the rest of it. Now, I'm not like that and I don't like it. And, you know, I just like to get on with the fucking job and get on with my work. And that's what I was doing. And I had a reputation for it. So I launched YouTube in record time. I showed everybody up, you know, they've been trying for about 18 months and I couldn't get anywhere with it. And I did it in about two, you know, got it launched. So it was showing people up. I was going into uh, do BBC Music Day and I was spending like, I don't know, a hundred thousand pounds on an event or 40 grand or whatever. And they gave me four grand. And yet my event turned out to be the biggest in the UK with the most coverage on the one show, all of the radio stations, all of the rest of it. So I was showing people up left, right and centre. And there was a brilliant friend of mine, Catherine, who worked in BBC Children's and she always gave it straight to me. And she said to me, you know, you work too hard, you work too hard and it's not gone unnoticed and it's showing people up. And that's not liked. 
and she said it to me and I thought, God, that's quite sinister, isn't it? The way that she said, she quite said it. And I said, all oh, right, okay. So, well, I can't help it. I'm just a hard worker. You know, I always have been, you know, that's just the way I'm made. And she said, all right. And then she told me a second time that it hadn't gone unnoticed, that I'd been working too hard. And, um, you know, she was just giving me, you know, polite warning. And, 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 and actually I should have heeded what she said because, you know, look what's happened. Um, and, you know, so what what did happen was that I was getting more and more successes, you know, with the BBC. I just did this brilliant poverty conference about taking, you know, uh, benefit uh, porn off, the, uh, poverty porn off television. And I was having a lot of successes. And um, and then I went into digital season and was having successes off them. But I was getting more vocal about BBC senior management and the fact that they're so piss poor and weird and having to massage these egos and this stupidity and this bureaucracy and these stupid management of relationships and all these pointless meetings that they have just to massage egos for managers who shouldn't even be there. They should have been stripped out. It's an absolute waste of money. And I was being quite vocal about it. Then I went away and I worked out using lean thinking, like I have to improve mental health services in the UK, lean thinking about how we could improve the BBC. And I came up with this program and this idea which was like a, a sharing thing so we all knew what everybody was doing without treading on each other's toes and it would cut out loads of bureaucracy and all the rest of it and I came up with this you know idea and I sent it to Tony Hall and um, you know and it what didn't go down very well that was right Pat Connor and there's a few of them didn't like that that um, I just sent it to him and um, and then I came up with an idea for the BBC Academy. And I actually said, look, we're just wasting and wasting and wasting license payers' monies here on these uh, departments. Some of them don't make any sense. Some shouldn't exist. That marketing department is a fucking joke. They don't do anything. They shouldn't even be there. Uh, all they do is uh, pick up a phone to inform Red B to make a trailer. And then they wait for the trailer to get delivered. They don't even make the trailers themselves. You know, there was so much that I was identifying. And um, yeah, and so the BBC Academy, especially, I cut out a whole layer of it, which would have been a whole, you know, load of senior managers go. Anyway, I sent this email. And then the next thing, you know, Gurdip Banjo or whatever you call him and Louise Blythe turn up in this room. Louise Blythe says nothing to me. She's just taking notes and staring at me furiously as Gurdip's talking. And he said, you know, I've overstepped the mark by, you know, sending this email, which basically said how we could save thousands and thousands in BBC Academy. And, you know, it was out of order. It should never have gone. And if it does again, you know, basically he threatened me with my job. And I thought, fucking hell, that's a bit fierce. Louise Blythe said nothing she's my boss and she just stared at me and just walked out and I thought well she's great isn't she she's her usual supportive self um you know because she could just turn like that she, she had no loyalty to her staff and um she was always always kissing ass and um so anyway I think that it really really ruffled feathers I think I was being outspoken I came up with plans to save money you know I um was individual managers like Pat Connor, I refused to be managed by because she was so shit, even though she got promoted to director of Bristol, which is crazy. And I said it was crazy at the time. I started saying to people, that's a waste of money, that's a waste of money. And I was pointing it out left, right and center. And um, that's what's happened. Basically, they decided they were gonna fuck me up. And they did. You know, they've destroyed my life. They've um, made everybody, you know, think that I'm mad. You know, my family don't want to know me. I've lost 
I'm on the verge of losing my home. You know, I've lost pretty much everything. Um, they have had such um, control over my life in so many different ways. And that includes my phone at times. And, you know, and the people that are contacting me and uh, communicating with me, they were posing as people and hiding behind photographs. And all sorts of things have been going on. And I'm not stupid. And I've pointed it out to them, you know, many, many, many times that these things are going on. You know, they've accessed my flat. They've got spare keys to it. Um, I've told you all how, how that happened. Um, I'll just rethink the story. But my old set of keys that were really weathered suddenly went missing one day. And I knew they'd been stolen, actually, by somebody. Anyway, when I got sectioned and I asked for my... Um, so I got a new set of keys. So it's a brand new key. So when I went to get sectioned and I asked for my key so that I could go back to my flat they gave me my old key which means that somebody now had my new key and that was the police um, or the BBC whoever they were handing it to I know categorically that people have entered my flat um, when I've been not here they've um, moved things they've uh, changed things they've um, uh, set things up they've um, done all sorts in my flat and because I can sense it I know when well I've also put Natalie's hair once on the top of my door and it was broken so I know that somebody's been in I can sense when people have been in my space and environment and I know when they do things you know I've been very in and very kind of knowing what's going on but trying to work out who it was and why they were doing it to me you know I just couldn't couldn't work out how people could be so vicious and so cruel because they were filming me they categorically have been filming me um, sometimes through um, earrings like little diamond studs um, through caps um, there was um, snapchat uh, uh, what they're called you know um, sunglasses uh, they were using one day uh, yeah snapchat sunglasses um, so they've been filming me they've been communicating with people over earpieces only the BBC would have that kind of technology and the know-how of how to do that and you know to get to it quickly um, and to cordon off areas you know of, of places like I say they just need to say oh we need to do a bit of filming can we close that road off and can we close that and I often wondered how they got people to act and you know be part of all of this and I just think just the promise of being part of the BBC and thinking that they may be part of some production not realizing that actually I'm going to be killed that's another thing you know maybe they didn't realize that I was going to be killed you know a few days ago but they definitely had me cordoned off in an area of Manchester near Victoria train station just um yeah it was a it was near Victoria train station because I could hear the trains and I knew it was cordoned off because there was road close signs at both exits for where I could get out. And I thought, if I walk to either one of those signs, I'm going to be dead. Because one of them takes me under a bridge and there's two cars waiting under it. Or the other one takes me right past the building so no one can see me particularly. And I could be easily shot through the window. And that would mean that loads of people wouldn't see me. And so that's why I kept an advantage point where lots of windows could see me. The uh, people that were walking around me and weren't helping me at all as I was having a panic attack, but were on their mobile saying, yeah, yeah, he's still awake. Yeah, yeah, still awake. Yeah, I'm just doing that all the time. And I thought, guys, this so basically, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in the cordoned off area of Manchester. I know that I could be killed if I go either way. I don't know who's going to shoot me or, you know, what's going to happen next. It was really fucking terrifying, I've got to tell you, because I knew everyone was against me. You know, this guy comes out of his, uh, under the arches, and it says pop on his door. And he comes out, he's just staring at me, unable to breathe in the street, just stares at me and then just goes back in again and says nothing. I thought, yes, because they're, they're either waiting for me to totally pass out and then I'll get taken away and killed, um, you know, or whatever they had intended for me. 
Uh, but it was certainly it was certainly to kill me. But they were fucked off because I stayed in a vantage point and they were trying to get me to move along. And the way that they were doing it was by getting loads of cars to come really close to me and make me almost nervous they were going to hit me. But because I just sat there and thought, well, if you do hit me, you're going to hit me in front of all the people that are watching. That means that there's more people to squeak. And that's not what you want when you're trying to kill someone. You want as few people as possible to see it because then you've got less people to squeak. And um, I think that was what the problem was. Um, you know, my, <laughs> yes, I mean, Bernard and this Adam who had just attempted to kill me in 10 Crown Street, then walked past me two times and they're staring at me wondering if, you know, I've, if I'm dead or not. And then they jump in their car. Um, oh, it was, you know, it's poetic, really. And then, like I say, when the police officer realises that actually I'm dying of whatever I've been injected with, um, and he needs to do something because if I die in front of him, then he's fucked. And uh, bless him, his, his eyes when he realised. And I just thought, yeah, he knows, he knows. And um, you know, and the BBC and or whoever you know it could be the police. It, well, it's everyone in cahoots. But they were communicating with him through his mobile because he was never off it. And it was the same with Bernard. It's the same with loads of them. They keep messaging them through their mobiles and telling them what to say and do. Two of them have had exactly the same mobile phone with exactly the same mobile case, exactly the same cap and the same diamond earrings. So I know for a fact and I knew both of them were filming me and asking leading questions and doing all sorts, trying to set me up. That's what they've been trying to do is film me to set me up to ask me questions that they know answers to that I would just lie about because I just think, well, I know you're setting me up and I know what you're trying to do here and you're trying to make me look bad. If this ever gets out, if say like I am murdered and actually something squeaks out, then you could say, you know, well, he was a bad person because blah, blah, blah. And the point is, is that I've been playing a game to work out what the fuck is going on in my life, which anybody would, you would play the game back. Because nobody's listening to you when you ask them for help and say, guys, they're playing a game on me and it won't stop. And I've begged and begged and begged them to stop, but they won't stop. And so the only thing that I've got is to find out who it is, what they want, why they're doing this to me. And now I know. Now I know. I've got my answers and I've worked out why. I know, you know, I, it was trying to work out when this started. And now I remember when it started. And that, when I thought about it, I just went, oh, yeah. And that was the time when I was particularly getting vocal about the BBC wasting money. And then the more that I went on through the day, you know, what's happened to me, you know, it's impossible for Greater Manchester Police not to be implicated in this because um, they didn't report the crime that I said, you know, that I was nearly murdered in this house. Uh, they assaulted me brutally. They put me into a back of a van so nobody could see me. It was covered in blood in the back of this van. They took me to a part of a hospital that was cordoned off. You know, these were, I believe, real policemen and women, actually. And I didn't believe that they were at first. I thought they were actors. But now I I think they are. And the reason why is because when I was in Manchester Royal Infirmary, when I managed to get through to the main part of the hospital and was seen on CCTV footage, which fucked everybody's plans up because at that point, no one knew where I was because I wasn't seen on CCTV coming in because I was in a cordoned off bit of hospital. And um, so I wasn't registered as being anywhere. I didn't even get any discharge notes. The police reckoned they had them. So, you know, there was no evidence to say I'd been there. So me getting through to the main part of the hospital was life or death situation. And I knew it was. And if that guy hadn't opened the door, fucking hell, I'd be fucked. But I put my mask over my face and I was just like, hello, hello, can you, can you unlock it? 
And he did. And so that's why I wandered round, got myself on CCTV, told them that I would, had these symptoms of coronavirus. They told me to go back into the room where I would have been killed again. And I said, no, you know, it's, I said it's fine. And so I pretended to go back. Um, but then I went to uh, into a side room because I thought, let me listen, because if I if they don't know where I am, will it all stop? And will I hear them saying things like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? You know, if this is a set that I've walked into. So I laid under the couch and I listened and I thought, no, it's not changing. The noise and the atmosphere is not changing. That means that this definitely is an NHS hospital that I'm in. And those were definitely nurses that were coming to basically watch me die when I was in the other room, because that's what was happening. My hands were going black, my vision was going, and my throat was seizing up. And every time I told them, they just said, put some cream on it. So I thought, oh my God, that means NHS staff and nurses are basically trying to murder me. And so I left the room and two of them came over to me more or less straight away. And I said to them, I said, look, you know, I've got symptoms of coronavirus. Also, my hand is going black. I don't feel well. I've been in this hospital all day, as some of you are aware. You know, I need to be seen by somebody. And um, they said, no, you've got to go back through to the room where I was going to be murdered. And I said, no, I'm not going to. So I said, look, can I at least wash my hands if you want me to go back there? Because it's through three doors. Totally refused to let me wash my hands. They then called security and had me thrown out. They locked the doors on me. That's all on CCTV footage. When I looked up from the ground, because I stood near the door because I thought, this is it, I'm fucked. I'm, they're going to kill me now. And I looked up and I saw this group of people coming for me and I thought, yeah, I'm dead. Because it's, it, but the problem is, what they don't know is that I've been caught on CCTV footage now. So now they can't go ahead with it. But anyway, they all piled me and, you know, I screamed and I screamed and I screamed for my life. And um, I won't go into all the rest of the details, but they had to take me back into the hospital. They were torturing me through my wrist, my wrist bleeding. Like he got this cuff and he put it right around my black hand. Bloody uh, took it as tight as he could and he lifted me from the floor by my hand, I was screaming like hell, honestly. I was like a little fish on the end of a line. All my clothes were ripped up and I've got evidence of that, they're all here. And you know, I hadn't done anything. All I'd done is to, uh, try to report an attempted murder. And I went through all of this and they took me into another uh, side room and they were all just waiting to find out if they could kill me or not, to see where I'd been picked up on camera, to see who had maybe heard me. I knew what was going on. And so I lay there thinking, well, I need to know if I'm going to die or not, because, you know, otherwise I'm getting quite peckish. I need to get home. And um, also, I feel like shit. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I had to wait. And then in the end, um, they bundled me back into this police van full of bloody blood in the back of it. Didn't even put me on the seat. So I was like, rolling around this metal cage and then um, shouted at me when they opened the door and told me that I was to go straight to bed and uh, we, no more would be said. Oh, and they had all the discharge notes from my doctor and everything, uh, but they'd be holding on to them. So I was like, ah, oh, right, okay. So, you know, when all this goes on, you realise that the police are involved, the NHS are involved, and the BBC are the orchestrators. And... Um, it sounds mad, doesn't it? But it's not. It's true. And that's what's been going on. And that's why when I put things on my Facebook page, or I was when I was accusing the BBC of censorship and cover up, and do you remember all of the things that I was putting? They couldn't ask me to take them down. Why? Because they were true. They were true. And they knew they were. And that's why they couldn't force me to take them down. 
because I was telling the truth and they should have reported my Facebook page just like they should report it right now because I'm accusing BBC senior managers including the Director General Tony Hall of my attempted murder and using licence payers money in order to do that to cordon off roads, to do these sets, to pay people, to pay the NHS staff because they must have been paid, they're not just going to agree to kill somebody um, so, you know, the BBC has a lot to answer for here. And I think hopefully you can all realise just how big this story is now. But do get back to me with any questions that you might have. And I'm more than happy to, um, you know, answer them for you. But hopefully that's explained things to you now. And you can hear that I'm not mad. I'm not crazy. I didn't have a mental health condition. It was these guys that have basically tried to bring on mental health conditions and put me in situations which seemed unreal. And actually... There were sets, and it was a setup. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? So um, I sound a bit panicked, don't I? Um, and I don't know why. I'm not that fucking bothered, to be honest. I fucking hate you all. Um, but um, just to let you know, hello, my name is Dan Foster, and I'm the son of God. Now, I don't want anyone to be fucking cynical or say, no, it's not, no, it's not. Yes, it fucking is, right? And you are all in grave, grave, grave fucking danger, right? So you need to start telling other people, and very fucking quickly, all right, your day of reckoning, yeah? Okay, right, I'll be back with more.